Father, thank you for being with us this evening by your Spirit exalting Christ. Oh God, I pray that we would know by faith that we stand beneath the fountain that makes us clean. And so, Lord, remind us of our clean status before you this evening. We love you and we ask for you to work in our hearts. We are Christians, Lord, and we long to be kept clean. And some of us here are searching. I pray that you would swing wide the doors of heaven through revelation driven by your Spirit and the Word combined to wash the sinners clean so they might enter into your gates to the glory of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, many of you probably know or at least at one time heard of uh, the famous musician named Bono. Uh, Bono is the lead singer of a band called U2. U2 is a band that is not only famous here in America, but also at one time had a global presence. In uh, 1987, U2 came out with this song titled, And I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Uh, That's the song. Uh, Super famous, in fact. Um, It has become so famous that some critics, such as ones from the Rolling Stone magazine, have called it one of the greatest songs of all time. Bono um, was interviewed more than a number of times on the song, and in one of the interviews about it, this is what he said. The song was an anthem of doubt more than faith, but also a song that celebrates wanting. In another interview, he went on to say, the words in it are about a search for meaning or transcendence. And to me, the most interesting thing about this song is that we do not find it. Rather, it is about the search. Absolutely powerful words. And I think what makes not just this song, but Bono's life and influence so interesting is found in what he chose to do with all his fame and fortune. After Bono uh, rose to stardom, he went on to become this great humanitarian. With all of his wealth and influence, he sought to eradicate poverty in Africa, help fund the AIDS uh, epidemic in 2002. And in that year, when he reached the pinnacle of his career, he appeared on the cover of Times Magazine with the question next to him that said, Can Bono save the world? Bono grew up a, a son of a Catholic father and Protestant mother. He lived through tough, tough times in his country of origin. And then after experiencing the loss of his mother at age 14 to a brain aneurysm, he grew up, became an adult, and wrote this song, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You see, Bono, in this real and vulnerable way, lived a life that searched for and affirmed goodness, kindness, and love. And yet, still in all of his success and humanitarian efforts, deep down as a man struggled with a desire for something more, something greater. And uh, the world has clearly been able to identify with this theme and idea. In fact, it went on to become, in a sense, a gospel, an anthem. And so what is it that people are looking for? Well, just as Bono confessed, it is an encounter with the transcendent. With something not just good, but something perfect. With something not just right, but something holy. 
with something not just to participate in, but something which can bring our hearts and souls meaning and rest. And so this evening, as we open up the scriptures for just a few short moments, what I'd like to do is show us how all of the desires and longings that we have found as humans here in our heart can be met in Jesus Christ. Christ on the cross. In other words, whether we know it or not, Christ's crucifixion is exactly what all of our hearts and souls are longing for. Because it is the place where God himself condescends to us, not only to reveal his character, but also offer to us a great, life-changing, transcendent love. If you have a Bible or cell phone, please feel free to turn that on or open. We're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, looking at verses 18 through 31. You'll see there that I titled the sermon, Searching for God and Beholding Christ Crucified. We're going to begin our time together by reading the text up front. Again, 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us are being saved. It is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to those uh, to save those who believe. The Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Skipping down to verse 27. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written... Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of God. This evening, as we consider this text together, there is one and only one point that I'd like to call your attention to, and that point is this. It's that the cross of Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so I just want to take a few moments to explain to you why this is what it is and what this truth actually means for us who believe and or are possibly searching to arrive at belief. Well, here we um, have the Apostle Paul writing. And uh, as he writes, he shows us that this dilemma of Christ and the cross, thought of by the world as foolishness, is not just something that is true in our day and age, but here helps us see how this was also true in his time as well. 
And the reason why this problem existed in Paul's time and still exists today is because the cross of Christ pushes back on everything that we as people are tempted to believe about ourselves and God. Number one, as it concerns ourselves, the cross of Christ speaks a word of salvation to the lowly and to the wretched. In other words, it appeals to those who in light of their sin and rebellion against God recognize their need for mercy. And you see this word and or idea, need, is the dilemma because it's the thing that the world is unable to see or come to terms with. Not recognizing need in relation to a broken society, institutions, and or government structures, etc., but rather need which resides in self. In other words, the world, a.k.a. the people living in it, are unable to see the fact that they have an inability to save themselves. And so instead of turning to God for mercy, the world turns to the work of its own hands, to morality, to good things, to good deeds, to humanism, to science, to philanthropy, to individual strength and life driven by confidence, inability, and or autonomy without God. You see, the cross of Christ confounds the wisdom of the world because although the scriptures themselves are coherent and intelligible, the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be fully comprehended by the human mind. And so in pride, the world seeks to ascend to God with science and reason, both of which are absolutely great and good, both of which God created, they belong to him. But both of which are ultimately unable to attain saving knowledge of the divine. And so with reason and a demand for evidence of Christ's divine nature and perfect sacrifice, just like in Paul's time, people in our world stumble over this one fact that the fullness of God's deity dwelt in one man, and that this one man, being God himself, humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, in order to save and rescue the world. But this is what we cling to. In fact, this is what we as Christians call the wisdom of God. Because we know how the scriptures say this has been God's plan ever since the beginning of time. For him to be the savior of the story so he himself can get the most glory. To the person and work of the humble Christ. And further, what we see about this is that this is that he, the Holy One of Heaven, who knew no sin, came with, here to earth, with an eye for the least likely. Jesus came for the least likely. When Jesus arrived on the scene in Luke chapter 4, this is what he said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to... Proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recover your sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. Did you hear that? Did you hear the audience and the mission of the poor and the blind and the oppressed and the prisoner? Did you hear the, did you hear the mission? Proclaiming good news which results in freedom? 
In Luke chapter 5, Jesus went on to say, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And you see, this is what makes Christianity so beautiful. It's that God did not go after the wise or the wealthy or the religious. Let that sink in. Or the articulate or the strong or the gifted or the powerful or those who are successful or comfortable in life without God, where from these things they think they could live without him or merit or reach him on their own effort. No, the gospel is beautiful because we see God leaving heaven, coming to earth exactly for the person who in light of their status and need, aka wretched spiritual state, in depravity, cries out for mercy to God. Who are these people? They're us. Oh, how beautiful it is to stand before the holy God and cry out for mercy. We are the lowly. We are the poor. We are the downcast, the downtrodden, the wretched, and the depraved. And this is the exact reason why Christ on the cross is the wisdom of God and everything for us. Because in and through his perfect sin sacrifice, the spiritual riches of heaven, a.k.a. God himself, is granted, given freely as a gift to us. One man named Tim Keller said this, you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. This is the thing that makes Christ so beautiful. It's that in all of our sin and lowliness, we see God with humility responding to our need and cry for mercy. And uh, Paul's teaching here in this passage is actually not even new. It's, it's rooted in the Old Testament in Jeremiah chapter 9. This is where the scripture finds roots and origins. The passage in Jeremiah chapter 9 says this. For thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in all the earth, for in these things I delight." You see, through the cross of Christ, we're able to know and understand the heart and character of God. Through who Christ was and what Christ did. Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who knew no sin, on the cross became sin, so you and I might become the righteousness of God. In other words, on the cross, there is the place where steadfast love and faithfulness meet. On the cross is the place where mercy and justice were simultaneously accomplished and applied. Christ on the cross was the great substitute and by his work made a great exchange given to you and to me, which was his righteousness for our wretchedness, his life for our death, his sinlessness for our sinfulness. And so what makes us so sorrowful this evening simultaneously has become our greatest hope and assurance. The wrath of God 
was completely satisfied as it was poured out on Christ as the substitute. This is why the Apostle Paul elsewhere in the Scripture says, for I have been crucified with Christ. There had been a million and one deaths before Jesus' crucifixion. Crucifixion was a normal thing in this time. But the thing that makes Jesus' crucifixion so unique is that the sinless, divine Son of God became the eternal object of his wrath for you and for me so that it could be completely satisfied and we stand before God clean. I'm wondering, in all that we've read this evening and studied so far, if you are grasping this message of good news and love. If you can actually see from this text, through the Spirit, by the way, that God loved you so much that he sent his Son to do this. In your inability, in my inability, in our inability to save ourselves, God left heaven to save us. God longs from his word to reveal his character, mercy, and love. Hey, if you're here this evening and you're contemplating this message of mercy, this message of mercy is not just for the holy huddle of Christians found in the church, but the doors of the church are swung wide through this gospel, and this is an entrance, an invitation in. You can have peace with God through the reconciling death of Christ. As we finish up our time here, I just want to show you lastly uh, what this great work of Christ produces for us practically. If you look there in verse 30, Paul concludes the chapter by saying this. And because of him, God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Uh, the last few words in this final verse are, are, are pretty big. Uh, righteousness we just explained. But then if you look there, Paul mentions this idea of sanctification. It's a fancy word which refers to the process of becoming or being made holy. The good news of the gospel is that by and through faith in Jesus Christ, those who believe in him have definitively, by God the Father, been declared sanctified. Holy. Are we going a new status and identity standing before God? But the progressive news of the gospel is that as we continue to follow Jesus on this life and journey of faith, the Spirit, through obedience to God, empowers us in such a way that we progressively become more and more holy. This is really, really good news. God does this. Why does this actually matter to us? This matters to us because many people, including myself, affirm the idea that it is Christ alone who saves. That at the moment of our salvation, we are indeed made holy. But somewhere down the line, because we love to strive and work, we think that salvation is then left up to ourselves to preserve and keep it. What a heavy uh, yoke. What an opportunity for condemnation, for Satan to make us feel guilty and unclean. We can't keep ourselves. Not only has Jesus made us once and for all holy, 
But Paul says here that he himself is our sanctification, which means he also is the one who keeps, maintains, and preserves our holiness. Can you ponder this fact? Think about your life story as you followed Christ throughout the years. Can you see how unable you have been to remain faithful to God and yet how God through his mercy and grace and the cross of Christ has kept you and brought you here? Jesus is not just our righteousness, but Jesus himself is our sanctification. And then lastly, Paul mentions as he concludes this chapter, this idea of um, redemption. I looked it up on Oxford Dis Dictionary on Google this week. Oxford defined the word redemption as this. Redemption is the action of gaining possession of something in exchange for a payment and or clearing debt. This is what Jesus did for us on the cross. You heard the old hymn, uh, we stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they were many, but God's mercy is more. This is what he's referring to. Jesus on the cross cleared our debt, our eternal debt that we had occurred against God. He became our payment. He made an eternal payment to heaven. Now we stand before God free. When Jesus on the cross hung and blurted out those last few and final words, it is finished. This is what he was talking about. The death, that your debt has been paid. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I'd like to um, ask you one last question as we conclude this time together. Um, have you found what you're looking for? Christian, I want to remind you that you have. God exposed himself to you in Christ. You have all that you ever want or need. If you're seeking this evening and you're here visiting or watching online, have you still not found what you're looking for? Here he is. Let me pray. Thank you, Lord, for being with us. Thank you, Lord, for our children here with us. Thank you, Lord, for this service. And thank you for your death. We love you and we praise you. You're holy. You're right and good. There's no one else like you. We pray in your name. Amen.